Good morning, church family. Welcome to Faith Church. My name is Derek. It is my privilege to be the lead pastor here. And as you know, one of the things we love to do when we gather together on Sunday mornings is ask God to speak to us through his word. So I love to help us with that. So glad to see each one of you. And uh, this summer, we have been getting to listen in on this conversation This summer, we've been getting to listen in on this conversation, a rare opportunity, I would say, to listen in on a conversation between God and the prophet Habakkuk. And and Habby, as I've come to call him, out of full respect and out of desire to not say his name over and over again, Habby gives us insights into our own interactions with God and, and in the ways, the questions that we might have for God and the things that we might struggle with. And so we've been getting to listen into this conversation, and it started like this. Several weeks ago at the beginning of the book of Habakkuk, it started like this. How long, O Lord, why is this happening? Why does it seem like all these terrible things are happening? Your people are disobedient. The culture around us is a disaster. God, how long is this going to go on? Why does it seem like you are sitting idly by just letting it happen? And God's response is not what Habakkuk had hoped for. Perhaps he was hoping for, you know, a quick solution or a quick answer to prayer or a quick about face of these negative events. And instead, God says, you won't believe what I'm about to do. It's going to go from bad to worse. I am raising up the Babylonians. God says he, for his purposes, God is raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, this, this seemingly horribly wicked empire, God is raising them up to use them as he sees fit. And so Habby's answer is, say what? You're, you're going to do what? That's your plan? This is terrible. Things are awful. Your people are, are rebelling against you, going against you. And you're going to raise up the Babylon. They're worse than we are. You're going to do what? And then a couple weeks ago in our last time in this passage, God's answer was that judgment will come, that the wicked will be punished. But in the meantime, he said, one of the most pivotal, the pivotal verse of this book and and one of the most powerful in, in the whole of Scripture, God said, the righteous will live by faith. Those that are right with God those that are, that are made right with God and following God will, will live by faith, by trusting in God no matter their circumstances. So we've been in this series, um, and we're calling it How Long? As we study through the book of Habakkuk, we've been in it this summer. We're going to finish it this month. And last week, we got to take a brief uh, break from studying through Habakkuk because I asked Pastor Matt uh, to preach for us. And, uh, and that was an excellent opportunity for us to get to know Pastor Matt in a different way, and I was thankful for him. Uh, you know, but uh, where I usually take, if you've been around here for a while, you may have noticed, where I usually take weeks and weeks and weeks to teach a book of the Bible, Pastor Matt taught us the whole book of the Bible in about 20 minutes last week. He was showing off. He's not supposed to undermine me like that. No, I'm just playing. It was the book of Philemon. You can look it up later. He did an excellent job, and I'm thankful for him and God's ministry through him um, last Sunday and always. So open your Bibles if you haven't already and find the book of Habakkuk. I promise you it's in there. If you're not sure where, feel free to use 
the table of contents. You'll see on the screen, we want to look, we want to start at Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 6. And those are some of the books of the Bible before Habakkuk and some of the books of the Bible after Habakkuk, in case you're flipping through and you're looking for one, right? See which one you can find there. Habakkuk is toward the back of your Old Testament, the Old Testament portion of your Bible, in between those books up there on the screen. And we want to open to chapter 2, and in a moment, we will start with verse 6. Father, as always, we come before you. Would you help us to open our hands to you? Would you help us to open our hearts and minds and ears to you? Father, we thank you for the gift of your written word, the Bible. We thank you for speaking to us through it. And by your spirit, by your spirit's presence with us now, by your spirit's presence in the lives of believers, would you help us to hear from you and understand what you have for us this morning? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 6 says, Shall not all these take up their taunt against him? And this is a great, this is an interesting turn of events right here because the tables are turned. We've heard how evil the Babylonian or the Chaldean Empire is. We've heard how they are mistreating people and the violence and the strife and how they're conquering and how they're just rolling through and doing whatever they want. And now this verse gives us a a glimpse that the tables will turn because now it's not the Babylonians speaking, it's, it's their victims. All those that have been trampled by the Chaldean Empire are saying this, shall not all of us take up our taunt against him, the Babylonian king, with scoffing and riddles, and riddles that the tables are turned. This, this, these prophetic words that we're about to study are, are foretelling the future and, and letting us know that, that, the, that the wicked will fall, that the Babylonians will get what's coming to them. And so these verses that we're going to study this morning are uh, presenting a five-fold woe, five woes upon the Babylonian empire. In other words, the great power of the Babylonians will, in time, come to an end. They will come to nothing. Even though God said, I'm raising them up, and even though God said, I'm using them for my purposes to discipline my people, there will come a time. They might have power now, but in God's perfect timing, here's what they have coming, these verses will tell us. Here's what they have coming to them. Here's how world events will play out in God's sovereignty. So, in verse 6, continuing, we have woe number one. Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. So here the the Babylonian Empire is condemned for plundering their greed, they're they're hoarding stolen assets. And and so so we see these words, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. And what we're going to see over and over as we look at these five woes is that each woe oracle, each pronouncement, each woe pronouncement includes two things. It almost always includes uh, a, a condemnation of what they've done wrong, And then number two, what's going to happen as a result? What is the consequence or the resulting judgment? And so we see that. Woe number one, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. And then we see in verses seven and eight, the resulting consequences, the resulting judgment of God. Verse seven, will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you, Babylonians, will be spoil for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. 
these woe oracles are, are prophetic in nature and, and, and turn out to be historically accurate. First of all, Habakkuk's conversation with God has indicated that he will raise up the Babylonians to discipline his own people. And, and, the, and, and this, this uh, action of Babylonia against the people of God comes to happen in 586 BC, not long after Habakkuk wrote God's word here. And judgment against the Babylonians will come and does come, but almost 50 years later in 539 BC. But these words written by Habakkuk many decades before from God through Habakkuk, of course, come to happen. And so these, these prophetic warnings are certainly applicable to the Chaldean Empire, but they're, they're applicable to all peoples of all times as well. This, this piece of truth. Reject the truth of Habakkuk 2.4 that we studied a couple weeks ago. Let's look at that. The righteous shall live by faith. Those that are right with God live by faith in God, trusting him no matter what the circumstances, entrusting their lives to him. Reject this truth, and eventually you will have nowhere to hide. Individually, before God, collectively, nations, these, these prophetic um, woes are applicable to all times and all people. Reject the truth of that verse, and, and, and that's not a good place to be. Verse 9, woe number 2. The second woe, we have, and you'll see we have kind of three sets of woes. It kind of seems to come in a set of three woes, and then this glorious truth about God that we'll get to, and then two more woes, and then this glorious truth of God. That's kind of how we're talking through this passage this morning, just so you get a preview. Number, verse 9, woe number 2. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to try to be safe from the reach of harm. This woe is about unjust gain, amassing for, him, amassing for themselves, whether it's the Babylonians or perhaps it's us, attempting to become untouchable, putting our faith in our wealth, thinking that we can somehow create a name for ourselves, a dynasty, and, 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 and by our own strength, sit on high, untouchable by all. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house. Woe to him who tries to be safe from the reach of harm. Um, by the way, what's the tone of, of a woe? I think some, in some ways, I don't know about you, but as I read this, I might be inclined to think of a woe as, as doom and destruction. Woe to you, you know? And because it, it seems like, man, these, these guys are being called out of their evil and their evil ways, and here's the judgment and the punishment that's coming. But, but similar to the whole letter of Habakkuk, this whole book of Habakkuk, a woe really has more of a tone of, of a sadness, of a lament, of, of woe to him, woe to those peoples, woe to you and I if in rebellion against God. A sadness, a recognition of, of, of not a good place to be. Verse 10. So again, we have the woe, verse 9. Now verse 10 gives us the resulting judgment or consequence. Verse 10, you have devised shame for your house by cutting off many people's that's what the Babylonians have done. You have cut off many peoples, and in doing so, verse 10 says, 
you have forfeited your life. Verse 12, woe number three. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. The Babylonians, their their cities, perhaps if you were an observer, perhaps if you came from somewhere else in the world to see the Babylonian empire and to see what they were about and to look upon their cities and these buildings, perhaps we would be taken by their impressive grandeur. But, it was, but this woe is saying it's all built on bloodshed. It's all built on violence. And the, and the Babylonians are being condemned in this woe for violence and injustice against the others. So let's, let's keep in mind here our, our conversation that's going on in this book between Habakkuk and God. In regard to our con- in Habby's conversation with God, we discover this in this passage. We discover this reality from studying this this morning, that God uses some wicked nations to punish other wicked nations. God in his sovereignty raises up and brings down whomever he pleases. The events of our lives, the events of the world are under, uh, under God's sovereignty over all things. And God ultimately sometimes does use wicked nations to punish other nations, but ultimately God will judge all nations, all peoples. Because you notice even in our study of Habakkuk that God's d- justice, don't miss this, God's justice demands that wickedness be punished. And we would like to think of it as those Babylonians. Those evil Babylonians deserve to be punished. But we see from studying God's word in the whole book of Habakkuk that God's justice demands that wickedness be punished, whether it's found in unbelieving nations or in his own people. We'll come back to that. Wickedness must be punished because God is just, holy. Verse 13. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. Thinking about world events, thinking about these nations trying to find power and a name for themselves, thinking about the Chaldean Empire sweeping through and wreaking havoc and bringing a name to themselves and and violence and injustice. And verse 13 says, these nations weary themselves in vain for nothing. They're trying to fill the earth with their own fame and their own power. Why is this in vain? Because look at the very next verse, verse 14. Why are the efforts of these nations to build a name for themselves and to bring glory to themselves? Why is all this in vain? Because verse 14 tells us the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I, I, I don't know. As I was studying this passage, this is like an oasis in the middle of the woes and sadness and, and, and wickedness and condemnation against evil, right? We've got woe, woe number two, woe number three, and then this glimpse. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Is that a good thing? That, that, that is happening and that will come to full fruition? and that we keep our hope on and we trust in our good God is at work for, that the glory of his name will be spread throughout. And it makes me think of um, back in Genesis chapter 12. We'll put this verse on the screen. This is, this is God speaking to Abraham. 
And this gives us an insight into, into what God's people are to be. From, from the beginning of the story, so to speak, this is what God has in mind for his people. Here he is speaking on the screen. You can read it on the screen. I mean, here is God speaking to Abraham, the, the founder of, 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 the, of God's people, the, the father of the, of the nation of Israel. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. God says, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. And the next verse, verse three says, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, God's people, in you, through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's what God wants to do through his people is spread the knowledge of the glory of the Lord to the ends of the earth. God, from the beginning of his story to the end, God, God intends for the, his glory to be known above all. And he wants to use you. He wants to use his people. To, because we are blessed, we are a blessing. Because we are blessed, we are a blessing. And we say that over and over around here, that God's people are to be conduits of God's love, proclaimers of the good news. What's the gospel? The gospel is the good news that God rescues sinners like you and me through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so then, if we are blessed by that reality that God has rescued us, if we are blessed because God has pursued us and made us his own, then we are blessed to be a blessing from the beginning of the story to the end. God wants his glory to be known above all, and he has you, follower of Jesus, to play a part in it, to be a conduit of God's love, to be a proclaimer of that good news. And so that's why I take an opportunity once in a while to remind us of this. That's why we urge you around here to be part of a life group. Coming on Sunday is great. Gathering with God's people in a large group and worshiping him and praying and, and seeing one another and caring for one another is great. But we would urge you to be part of a life group, to make the church smaller in a sense, to have a group of people within the church that, can, that you can really know them and they can know you, unlike really what we're able to do in a short time together on a Sunday morning, right? We want you to be part of a life group. And our life groups have kind of these three um, hoped desires that we want to work toward, that we're, that we're still learning together, that we're still putting into action together. But as you connect to one of these life groups, each life group is going to be striving with God's help to have an, a component that is life on life, meaning where, where you are in relationship with another follower of Jesus or a couple of other followers of Jesus where you can connect and study the God's word together and apply God's word to your lives and pray for one another and help one another really grow in following Jesus. Each life group, our life groups, as we, as we figure this out together, are going to have a life-on-life -life component, a life-in-community component, which is a little easier to imagine. It's a little easier to see. This is what's going on already in, in our groups. We get together because we enjoy each other's company. It's important to live in community with other followers of Jesus. So we share a meal together. We pray for one another. This is our family, sort of within the church family. When there's ups, we, we're with you in the ups. When there's downs, we come alongside you in the downs. That's life in community. But here's the component, life on mission. 
I think, is what fits where, where we were talking about in our passage this morning. If the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, if God's people are blessed to be a blessing, then, then we have to, as followers of Jesus and as groups of followers of Jesus, Ask him how we can live life on mission, how we can be conduits of his love to those who don't yet know him, how we can be proclaimers of that good news of Jesus to those around us who have not yet found new, true, being transformed life in Jesus. And so we want you to be part of a life group, life on life, life in community, life on mission, so that we can live into this, this mission of God to our world. Blessed to be a blessing. All right, let's look back. Now we're back in the passage in kind of this second group of woes. We had three woes, and then this glimpse of God's glory. Now there's two more woes, and then another glorious glimpse of God's person. Verse 15, woe number four. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. Again, this woe is, again, against violence and uh, toward their neighbors, toward, toward being disrespectful and dishonoring people around them and the way they're treated. And verse 16 has the consequence, the resulting judgment. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Woe to you that are treating people like that. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. And then the last woe, the fifth woe in our passage this morning is this incredible contrast. Try to, as we read the next couple of verses together, look for this contrast. Verse 18, what prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? It's a metal image. It's a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation. So someone has carved this idol or, or made this idol out of metal and, and, and has put it in the place of God and is worshiping it above the true God. And so the, this, this passage, verse 18, says, what profit is that? Its maker is trusting in his own creation when he makes these speechless, speechless, lifeless, breathless, right, idols. These man-made creations, and then to put them in the place of God. Verse 19, here's the fifth woe. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, and who says to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. Then, in contrast to these speechless idols, these breathless idols that have been put in the place of the one true God. The chapter closes with these awesome words in verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Woe, 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 and then the glory of the Lord will be known everywhere. Woe, woe, and then the Lord, full of breath, full of power, real, powerful, knowing, loving, in contrast to these speechless idols, these, these ridiculous things that we put in our life as more important than God. Verse 20 brings us to the Lord 
is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Let all the nations be still. Let all peoples be still and know that he is God. His glory will fill the earth. Not the glory. The glory of the Chaldeans isn't going anywhere long term. His glory will fill the earth. And here we are, gathered in a room, not gathered in a church because the church is not a building or a time slot or an event, right? We are the church, gathered in a room for about an hour of our week. And I want to I I stop here for a moment and, and ask us to consider the, the verse 20. Is this our approach to God? Does that accurately represent what I come here for and gather with my church family for on a Sunday or in my home when I study the Bible in the morning or at the dinner table when I talk with our kids about God? Does this represent our posture? Do we approach God with this kind of reverence, with awe, with recognition that he is sovereign over all things, that nothing happens that hasn't already come across his desk? Do we enter into worship with this kind of of deference, respect, for the mighty and holy, living, speaking, breathing, powerful, loving God of the universe. When we come on a Sunday morning, there's a lot that that are good things that we want to accomplish together. There are a lot of good goals, so to speak. There's a lot of good uh, results, things that can happen in our journey with God when we gather together on a Sunday morning, right? There's, there's a lot of different ways that we can accomplish what God has for us. We study his word. We lift our voices in, in, in song. We interact with one another, right? There's lots of good things that God likes that we ought to have as followers of Jesus that are, that are about our Sunday morning gathering. But I want us to stop for just a moment and consider, do, do any of these goals sometimes interfere with one of the other goals? We love community, and church is a family. And so we should love one another, and we should enjoy catching up in conversation, and we should gather together to say hello and to check in and to pray for one another. And you know what? We have food in the back, and we do that on purpose because food helps people connect with each other. And so we have a value of being a family, of being community. Does being a family and coming in on Sunday morning ever interfere with the value we have of coming before and worshiping our great God. I'm not, and don't, 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 read, don't get me wrong. It's not one or the other, okay? But I just am wondering about arriving and getting food and checking in with one another. And then, and then our, is our posture, is our heart ready to worship? Do we approach the throne of God with silence, with, with awe. When we come through the doors, we enjoy community, but are we also in here 
and ready for what God has for us. He is worthy of our worship. It's a short time each week. Are we in here and ready and silent and in awe and considering and then rejoicing and lifting prayers and lifting songs and studying the Bible so that we can hear from him? So Habakkuk's conversation with God. He's had these complaints, right? How long? Why? And then later his second other complaint was, what? You're going to do what? That's your solution, God? And so as we've continued to study Habakkuk, I want you to see that God assures him that the pride of the Babylonians will come to an end. And that if there's any among God's people, because some of God's people have been disobedient and rebellion against God, and some of God's people are due consequence, judgment. But God assures Habakkuk that the, 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 the power of the Chaldeans will come to an end and that anyone who humbly trusts in God will gain his life. The righteous will live by faith. Those that are right with God, that have been rescued by him, will trust him and live for him no matter what the circumstances around them. Wickedness will eventually be punished, and the righteous will eventually see God's justice. Keyword, eventually, right? From this writing, it was 50 years before the Babylonians, before the fall of Babylon. And, and, and we look around ourselves now, and we know our own failings, and we know where we fall short, and where we sin, and where we go against God, and we look at our culture, and we might want to moan. Wickedness will eventually be punished and the righteous will ultimately see God's justice. Habakkuk does not need to fear that this rebellious nation will have the last say because we saw in verse 14, the earth is the Lord's and he will fill it with his glory. Do we trust God's purposes to prevail? Things may seem out of control sometimes. We may not understand why the wicked seem to prosper. It may seem like God is absent. But we know, followers of Jesus, faith, church, family, it may seem things are out of control. It may seem like the wicked prosper. It might seem like God is absent. But we know that God is present and faithful, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that we can count on him. And verse 20 tells us the Lord is in his holy temple. He is on the throne. And so let all the earth keep silence before him. I'm going to invite the band to come on up here and get back in place and get ready to lead us in worship through music. As they come, though, I want to explain to the rest of you how I want to spend the next couple of minutes together. We, we can talk about silence And then I could fill the room with noise and dismiss you. Or we could try silence. Or we could put into play silence before God. And so we're going to do that. I'm going to invite you to a chunk of time of silence. And it might feel a little long to you. And it might feel a little awkward in the setting of of gathered worship. But we're going to allow a period of silence. And and I would say, humble yourself before God. 
desire a posture of silence before him. It doesn't even necessarily require talking to him or prayer. I would encourage you to spend your time in silence to recognizing and in awe of his greatness. If you have to think of anything, think of him, his character, his nature, his awesome power and his love for you. Let's use this time of silence to recognize that God is sovereign over all things of all time, that there is nothing out of his hand. So let's go, to, let's go before him. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. The Lord is in his holy temple. He is on his throne. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Father, teach us to put ourselves in your hands. Despite spinning circumstances around us, remind us of your greatness, your justice your love for us. Amen. Before I close and we go to worship through music, I wanted us to, this is a very important thing I believe that God put in my mind and heart this week to, to finish with is before we continue on this morning, I want us to think about the fact that there's a way, there's a sense in which these woes, you know, could be applied to us. Woe to you and I if we aren't right with God. Sinful rebellion, going against God, will be punished. 
Romans 6 tells us that the wages, the consequences of our sin, is death. Ephesians 2 tells us that we are children deserving of wrath. Deserving of God's wrath. Wrath against sin. Woe to us if we can't get it together. Woe to us if we can't stop sinning. Wait, 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 wait. No. Yes, woe to us if stuck in sin. Woe to us if not rescued from sin. But we don't have to get it right. We don't have to earn our way to God. We don't have to get it together. We don't have to stop sinning because because of the cross of Jesus Christ. God's wrath was poured out against our sin. Wickedness was punished. God's wrath was poured out against our sin, yours and mine. If you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus took your sin upon himself, went to the cross, endured the shame, took on, took on suffering of a human and died so that we might live. Died so that our sins would be forgiven. Died so that a just God could pour out his wrath against sin and yet you and I are safe and loved and rescued because of Jesus Christ. He died and he rose again, making it possible for us to be right with God and adopted into his family. Romans 6 says that the wages of sin is death, but that passage continues that the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Romans 2 says that we are children deserving of wrath, but that passage continues But God, rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, even when we were dead in our sin, he made us alive with Jesus. By grace we have been saved. Through faith. Not by our works. Not by trying hard. Not by matching up. Not by stopping sinning on our own power. But by putting our faith and our trust and giving our lives to Jesus Christ. We have a lot to be thankful for, church family. We have a lot to worship God about. We come before him in silence. We've done that, but we also stand together now, and we also lift our voices in joyful celebration of what Jesus has done for us. So let me invite you to stand.